0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 10 of First Time Outdoors podcast, Uh, Ripley, Camp Ripley episode 2, we've got a guest Steve joining us this week, we're going to be picking up where we left off two episodes ago, uh, talking about the Camp Ripley hunt, some of the stories from that hunt, some of the experiences, some of the things that we learned, and also getting the perspective from uh, a new hunter experiencing bow hunting for their first season, so stay tuned and thanks for joining us. so camp ripley part two we're gonna get back at it here we took a week off um to share stories from a from a successful bow hunt a couple weeks ago or last weekend but um so let's get back into the ripley conversation we uh, kind of cut it off a little short if you had listened to that episode in part one we were too hot we we had a wood stove going in that yurt and uh it was over a hundred degrees probably in there. For I mean, sure, you, you might have heard some people like shedding layers and stuff. And so uh, we have Steve back with us, uh, who was in that episode and uh, had some interesting things to talk about. And we never got back to it because we shut it down before uh, we uh, we got to it. So um, thanks for being here, Steve.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we can be in a room that's less than <laughs>
0: 97 degrees. Uh- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, so we are back in studio now. So. It's
2: nice that we weren't at Ripley this weekend because it's what it's like, fifteen degrees out now. so like, yeah, I mean, that would, you know, we at least had a nice, nice weather out there the first week. Are um, people there right now? No, Those no. Last, okay. Those it was just weeks. the f- we were the second weekend there. So, yep. So I don't exactly recall where we left off with our our last conversation while we were at Ripley, but um, kind of a recap of day one was not a lot of activity if I recall um and we were looking to be hopeful for next you know the following day day two um I didn't have a whole lot going on I wanted uh
0: did you see anything Mike I did I did uh so I went back to the same spot I didn't I didn't pull my tree or pull my stand out of that tree so I went back to the same spot and uh it's pretty early on that I saw a spike buck that came in. It was really windy that morning, and so it was uh, really hard to hear anything approaching, so it was reliant on the ability to see things. And I was actually facing towards you, Steve, most of that morning, and that spike buck came in from behind me and was less than 10 yards away before I saw it. Uh, I was not planning on shooting a spike buck, so I actually turned around kind of quickly. It was more or less me testing out to see how much I could get away with movement up there in case something bigger showed up later. Um, And it walked right underneath me, and actually, funny enough, uh, Steve and I were talking, I don't know if you remember this, the day before about uh, peeing from the deer stand and, like, how does that affect deer at all and uh my research says no <laughs> because that deer walked so close underneath me i mean it was like in my puddle from the day before so uh yeah it didn't affect it at all yeah so that's uh, confirmed deer don't pay any attention to uh urine human urine smells or odors in the woods so scientific stuff yeah yeah pee away if you're uh in that situation while you're out, uh, deer hunting. Um, so anyways, uh, as I was watching that spike buck over my left shoulder, I heard, uh, actually heard this time a twig snap and there was a pretty good size eight point buck that was standing there. And, uh, it was actually after having a conversation with Derek after that hunting day, it was the same deer that he had missed the day before um, so it was back checking that same scrape line. So, um, I hunted until, what was it, Steve? What do you until about 11, 1130 and called it a day, but, um, two deer and a four hour sit felt pretty good after a 12 hour sit and seeing nothing the day before. So that's, that's what I saw that day. How about you, Steve?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I guess we, I left the stand-up, too, and it was fun being able to get up there. I mean, do I need to introduce, I don't think people know who Steve is. I think that might be important for some, like, context. And I haven't hunted many times. Like, this is the second time that I was hunting. So I was kind of looking at it with pretty fresh eyes. So a lot of the things I say may just be kind of seem obvious if people have hunted before. But to me, they're sort of surprising just for some context. Mm -hmm. Um, So the second day, the tree was already, the stand was already set up, so I didn't have to spend a lot of time banging around, getting it up, like I did the first day. Um, So I was up in the tree, like, you know, well before the sun was up, probably, you know, a half hour before the sunrise, which is the legal time to shoot a deer, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Which it was like, in the woods, it's so dark. It was like pitch black at that time. And so I was thinking, like, is this, seriously, this is legal, this should deer, right. And right when I was thinking that, I heard a crunch crunch that wasn't a squirrel, uh, or a hedge, or a um, porcupine? Or porcupine that yeah. i had seen. Um, and it was a deer, and it was coming, a doe, and it was coming from behind me, and my harness was a little strangely situated, so I slowly kind of turned around and got, got into uh, facing that way and you know it was still super dark and I saw it walk down a trail that I had thought I had measured the day before at um, 30 yards, a shooting lane that was kind of perfect at 30 yards but it was so dark and like, I could hardly even tell if it was a doe or not um, and it walked past, my heart was throbbing <laughs> and it passed out of the shooting lane I was like, oh my god and I just walk, walked along
2: isn't it amazing how, uh, sorry to interrupt, but isn't it amazing how, like, you know, if you weren't hunting, you would have never had that feeling, that that yeah. deep, like, your blood's pumping. Yeah, like, like you can,
0: like, hear your heartbeat in your you ears. You never would have been so anxious
2: <laughs> if you didn't have a bow in your hand, if you were just there out in the woods. Yeah. But all of a sudden, when you do, it's like, it couldn't be more thrilling.
1: And I think a big part of it was spending 12 hours the day mm-hmm. before sitting in that same stand and seeing nothing. Yep, mm-hmm. And so... F- like the thing that we've been looking for actually came <laughs> <laughs> and went just as fast as it came about 15 minutes later it was a little bit brighter and back down that exact same trail came the same doe um just kind of moseying lawn picking up whatever she was eating acorns maybe
0: probably acorns um, yeah
1: and she came back right to that same shooting lane I did a little honk noise <laughs> and she stopped. And I pulled, I had already pulled back, did the honk. She stopped. I let it f- fly at my 30 yard target mark and <laughs> just went right under her. Uh, she just kind of jumped up, kind of looked around, walked towards me for about 15 seconds. And I fumbled to try to find another arrow. And by the time that sort of nervous, flailing for it finished uh she just trotted off mm-hmm. it wasn't really having anymore so i got down to go get my arrow and paste it out it was about 45 yards it wasn't the oh, 30 wow. yard line i had mm-hmm. uh, thought it was the day before i'm just glad i didn't injure it really like, you know yeah hit a stomach or something
2: yeah that would have been a good poke to get out that far yeah, yeah that's, a a that's
1: <laughs> feeling really. so good yeah. but like your depth that early in the morning like Depth perception was just weird, mm-hmm. you know, I was already nervous. Like these so are things just like shooting at a target range. You like can never really ent- mm-hmm. it's, it's not the same. Yeah, I've never shot at a target range like other than the middle of the day, like or at like you know I'm never <clears throat> shooting at sunset or twilight. Yep. You know, yeah,
0: a and lot even of even there they're already marked off. Yeah. You know how often do you go to a target range and then just kind of blindly stop at a spot and then guess the distance and shoot not very often that's really good practice yeah. but then there's there's so many other variables that come into play when the, when you're hunting the daylight and you be seated and yeah, twisted and yeah your movement you've got actually a very limited space for your feet and also just the adrenaline that's like pumping through your your whole body you get kind of anxious and jittery and there's all sorts of things that are going on that's you can't, you can't really simulate that in any sort of target practice.
2: Mm-hmm. That's crazy.
0: So they, that was actually for you being a new hunter. Um, the first time you'd ever drawn back and shot at a, a deer, yeah. right? Oh yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. It, was, it was thrilling. Uh, and it was funny when I, when I got back and told the same story that Carrie, someone who was hunting with mm-hmm. us. He got wide eyes, and you pulled back. <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I pulled back, and I shot." He said, "Again, yeah, you shot?" <laughs> and I, I, didn't realize that those two steps were like a pretty, such a big deal. Like to me, I was just sort of in this panicking kind of haze, um, and I had felt that they were a huge deal. But to see someone who's been hunting for thirty whatever years mm-hmm. still get excited about it was cool.
0: Yeah, that's true. Actually, I never thought of that before. That's kind of the like the benchmark of success, I guess at Ripley, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you got drawn on one. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, that's cool. Um, how many hunts had you been on previous to that? uh, One, one hunt ever. Mm -hmm. Are you counting the day before or no, then two, then two. Mm -hmm. And where was that? It was with,
1: um, with your brother up in, forest lake area i think was it public land no it was someone that
0: oh sure yeah i'm really sure
1: what this is but that was very plug and play like derek and i went out there the night before he set up the he set up the stand for me the next morning we went out the stand was set up he sort of dropped me off at the stand yeah um which is cool like step by step it's like you know I had my learner's permit, and now, like you know, I'm starting to drive at night, and <laughs> my daddy's stopping, sitting next to me in the passenger <laughs> seat. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. You guys helping me out with this so that I can do it step by step, and not just have to watch YouTube videos.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think that's really important to, and you you actually laid it out really well, I think. And a good way to mentor somebody new into it is. Maybe the first time you take him, it is already set up and they, all they have to do that new person is just get themselves into the tree, get themselves harnessed in, and then just experience it. And then the next time, maybe then it's helping them find the tree to sit in and then letting them, or maybe showing them how to set the stand up and then having them climb up. And then the next time is letting them set it up themselves and just incrementally doing it because there's so many parts to that process that trying to give them every one of those steps all at the same time is going to become pretty overwhelming pretty fast. So I'm glad that worked out for you in that case. Yeah, me too. How did it go setting the stand up? What this time was that? Um, was Derek there to help you do that, or did he just say like, "Here's the spot, see you later"?
1: Yeah, yeah. He just found the tree and then took off, and I wanted him to take off too, you know. Um, I've figured out that this thing is like a game of inches. It's a very fine-tuned operation, almost of this variety of hurry up and wait, but hurry up in a very quiet, efficient, uh, smooth way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I had those metal sticks that you climb up the tree with, and you know, there's metal latches on the end of those, and they're kind of like banging around now and then. It's so it's was like, well, if someone's near me, they're going to be a little pissed that mm-hmm. I'm just kind of clanking around. <laughs> Soul uh, of the deer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting things up and then you get up and you're like, wow, this is high up. Especially yeah. when it's dark out and you mm-hmm. can't really see the bottom, like where are the leaves where you just uh, launched up from. And like you're determining where to put each stick. How tight to tighten it, where to put the stand, like is this thing actually gonna hold me when I like put all my weight on it? Mm-hmm. And then, okay, now i like, gotta get my bow up here and then like latch me on. Okay, now I'm sweating. I can't be sweating now because I'm gonna be wet. It'll freeze my ass off later. Mm-hmm. But my hands are cold. It's like, where do I put my hands? What <laughs> if I need to draw, but I have this thing around my wrist. It's yeah. Like, so <laughs> it's like, it's all these like little things that you do like where do I put my bow? Where do I hang it? How do I reach it if I'm facing this way? Mm-hmm. And it would be just—I could see it just being really fun, being able to hone in on all these things and having like a really efficient system. Essentially, the opposite of the system that I—I I had uh, for the first time.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the important thing is being okay with making mistakes. <laughs> you know, like if you got up there and you were standing in your stand and you're like, "Oh my gosh, like I put my—I put my stand in the wrong direction. I should be facing." northeast and i have it facing north i've done that or if you're like all right there's a big branch in my way and i have no shooting lane where i thought i should have a shooting lane or there's all those different things Mm -hmm. and knowing which ones to let go of become really important and then the more experience you get in the tree the more you can kind of accommodate for those little things once you're up there so for example for me last last week when When I shot that deer I had mentioned in that podcast that I didn't realize until that day that that tree was way too big for me to be able to draw my bow and shoot to my right Hmm. and so that was like well I'm not going to get down and reorient everything redo all my steps and seat my stand back onto the tree so instead what I did is I spent like 10 minutes practicing how am I going to move my feet and kind of rehearsing that. So then when it became showtime, if that ever happened, I had something ready to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's those are kind of the little things I start to pick up on as you get more, ex- more experience. Where do I put my bow? And how do I stand? And how often should I be sitting down? Because the more you make mistakes, the more success that you can have. I mean, I don't... I don't consider any of those things to be failures, even though they do. Like, there's been certain, certainly times for me where I'm like, "Dang it, I shouldn't have been doing this at that time" because I got busted. But I learned way more from the times I screwed up than the times I might have gotten lucky. Yep. Right. So
2: I, I found myself a couple times this year uh, so far finding myself in a position where I've made a mistake, or things aren't set up how I need them to be, or like I could see a, um, a vulnerability in my setup where, let's say I was in a tree and I was positioned slightly incorrectly. You know, it's like not ideal to shoot. Or there's a couple trees that are, you know, have branches in my shooting, potential shooting lanes. Or, I mean, those are a couple examples that came to my mind. And then just sitting there for like a minute and going, that's probably fine. And then having a doubt and going, no, like it's early. Yeah. If I don't, I have to fix this problem or like I have to, I have to either like commit that it's gonna be fine and I need to know what the solution is if I leave it or I need to solve it now because when the moment comes when that deer walks by, they don't, I'm not in a position where they're gonna be there for an hour. It's gonna be 15 seconds. And I don't know, that, that, yeah. that's something I wanna to talk to like a more expert level person on is like, when do you take the risk of making more noise making more movement and all these other things to solve a potential problem or to get, dig yourself out of a hole for the f- future potential or do you not do that to save the to project. save the to save the potential mm-hmm. maybe yeah you know that's an interest, that's like a hard thing i wrestled with a couple times this year um i don't know i don't know at the end it's all situational but it's like yeah. it's a thing for sure that you have to like it's all part of that efficiency kind of knowing what the setup is as you go but it's fun
0: yeah and those are also the things that for me every year i've got to rehash out like this year the first time i went out and bow hunting i had to think through like okay what are the things that i put in my fanny pack that i bring with me to my tree like do i need my rattling horns do i need my grunt call do i need what's in here that i need because there's a there's been a lot of times where like the first time I go out bow hunting that year and I get to my stand I'm like ah dang it I forgot my range finder Mm -hmm. so you kind of have to remember you have to go through all that stuff and once you get a few hunts under your belt for that season you start to get all of that stuff in a pattern and there's still times where you make mistakes Like, Jake forgot his release a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Yep. We all get
2: set up. There's four of us in the woods, and I just look down. You know, I was going into a new spot. Never had been in there before. Walking in in the dark, um, just looking for a sign, looking for a place to set up. And I finally think I have a good spot. Takes me longer than I'd liked. I'm sweating, trying not to make noise. Finally get set up a little bit late. I look down, and I'm just like, why do I have my watch on my left wrist? I usually take my watch off and switch it to my right. And I like check the time with my left. I was like, oh, I don't have my release on. And we were all just psyched for that morning. The rut was starting to kick off. We were all over a good sign. And I just realized like, well, I guess I'm just going to sit for the morning because I can't have Mike or anybody come give me my release. He he had dropped me off.
0: He had driven away. And I'm like, I'm not going to ruin his
2: morning. He just got set up, too. Yeah. You know, they could be rolling in any time for him.
0: Did you
2: see anything? No, I did not. I saw three coyotes, which was a first. That was my was first-time outdoors moment for me. Um, just heard his crashing through the woods, and I looked to my right, and three pretty big coyotes at a full sprint through the woods. That was pretty cool. And yeah. then I think everybody else saw him too. They yeah. kind of ran through our whole line.
0: Yeah, so I get a text from Jake, and it's like, crap, forgot my release. And I was like... <laughs> Sorry, bro. i got like three deer on me right now. I'm not climbing down to come give that to you. Nope. So, um, so there's a kind of a helpful thing. And I remember you had mentioned that to Carrie at one point too. that mistake. And he was like, mm-hmm. yep, been there. And I also have been there too. So now what I do is I have two releases. I have one that's attached to my bow that I, I can't like carry my bow without it being attached because it's buckled to it. And I also always have one in my fanny pack. Because there's been, I've done that same thing. I got to my stand, I'm like, oh, dang it. And then I got to walk all the way back to the truck and grab it and come back. And it's that same thing. It's like, well, I'm going to totally screw this up for not only myself, but anybody else that I'm hunting with. What I thought was
2: interesting about how Kerry handled that conversation, he put a fine point on it. He said, he took the time to say, so what was the lesson learned? Yeah. You know, which is like obvious. Mm Mm-hmm. But it also like made me like you know carry a second and put a put it like crystallize that thought and like yeah. make sure that I've I've articulated that now out loud. And I think that like a really experienced hunter like him like like Carrie, he's probably done that a million times with like what's the lesson here of the tree stand placement? Yeah, what's the lesson here with you know making noise or not carrying your rattling horns out or like whatever the situation is. I'm sure he's answered that question for himself a million times. So like, it was kind of like, yeah, you should, even if you think, you know, the answer, just like think about it for a little bit longer, even like, how is this never going to happen again?
0: Yeah. And I think that's also a really cool way of approaching it too, the way Carrie did, because it feels different when you come to that conclusion yourself than somebody that's more experienced being like, yeah, you know what I do for that? You know, mm-hmm. it, cause that kind of comes off maybe condescending and to be like, well, so tell me what did you learn from that experience? Yeah. And then be like, yep, <laughs> good one. You good know, one, yeah. So, yep, for sure. I mean, there's, there, there's, there's always mistakes to be made. And I think I, there, I would never consider them to be failures until you repeat that mistake again. <laughs> you know yep. what I mean? Like if you didn't learn from it the first time or like then there's something there's a, there's an issue, but I don't consider anything to be a failure. If you're learning from it, that's just all, all data. Yep. to Keep using. Um, one of the other things that I have learned the most from, as well as sitting in somebody else's stand that they had set up. So for example, talking about Carrie again, uh, I was hunting on some land that Carrie had permission to hunt and he had already had that stand set up and walked me to it and was like, here you go. And I got up there and I was like, Oh man, this is perfect. The way that this is oriented, the way, like the type of tree he's got it sitting in the way it's sitting over this trail, how the shooting lanes are cleared to these different trails. Um, also when I learned that putting a stand up into a, into a tree that's kind of in a group of two or three. So I have, different spots to break up my silhouette, but also different areas to hang my stuff. So I can have a bow that is hanging directly in front of me because there's a tree right in front of me. I've got one to my back, which my stand is hanging on, and I've got one straight in front of me, and my stand is kind of between the two legs of that V. So that was really helpful as well. You can kind of see what other people do and then change what you do in order to f- fix that. Um, fix the problem that you maybe are running into consistently. Um, or even if you're new, having somebody else sit in your stand. Because I, I also can remember that first year that you set up, that stand, Jake, that you shot that deer out of. And then the next day I went and hunted it. Mm-hmm. And you hunted out of my stand. We switched. Yep, And uh, that's also when I learned that left-handed hunters and right-handed hunters have different ways of... <laughs> orienting their stands it's completely different but then there was also like there was like some feedback that we could give in that situation it's like the tree was leaning a little bit maybe we put the stand on this side or put it up a little higher or that tree that was 10 feet away might have been better for this 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 and this to just give feedback and not being like as a new person well I think first it's really important that the person that's more experienced presents that feedback in a way that's like teaching and not like once again condescending or mm-hmm. like saying stating it very obviously but then also as a new person to like hey I'm new at this and I know I'm gonna make mistakes and being open-minded to getting some teaching from other people mm-hmm. Definitely, fine yeah for
1: me the one of the most valuable parts is just listening to you guys tell me about things that had happened in the past and like little details that may just sort of been offhand to you guys like oh that's what how that whole thing works Yeah. Um, so and you know like being able to spend time with you guys for like two solid days you know that that was probably the most valuable part it's not stuff you can watch on YouTube or really like it's not in the deer book hunting manual <laughs> you right like, you yeah. uh, don't forget your, your your wrist release you know like st- stuff like that cuz i do i it up here it's like but it would be like i was walking out to the stand and you know since i always have my uh thing in my my rope in my fanny pack i put the rope i was like wait you keep the rope in your fan you know it's just like little details yeah, like yeah.
2: That. stuff that i completely like can align with what you're saying as like a recent hunter like some of that stuff is so ingrained in like the the in crowd I guess like if you are if you grew up with hunters you've got hunters all over your network like that's common knowledge mm-hmm. and it's really interesting what isn't shared common knowledge mm-hmm. coming in from a new person saying yeah like a rope in your fanny pack like that's a detail that could have been totally lost and you would have been fine mm-hmm. you would have just developed your own method that would have Maybe even louder or clunkier or whatever, and it's just—I think that's something we want to really do here at first time outdoors—is get to some of that stuff. You yeah. know, get a little deeper into those layers and start to start to expose some of that common knowledge to new newcomers. Where it's like, yeah, climbing a tree—spend spend one minute looking at the tree before you climb it, as to where you want to end up at the end. Like that—that's yeah. something I learned. It took me a little while to kind of just be like, okay, well, there's a bend there, there's a crotch there. This is, you know, like instead of just getting to the tree and just starting climbing, just think about it, bro. Just give yourself a minute, you know. Yeah. But those, all that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm sure it's common knowledge, but
1: that's the first time I've heard it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> serious. Yeah. I was just like, get up the tree, don't make any noise, hurry. Yeah. Yeah. So you climb up and then in a weird
2: uncomfortable spot all day yeah you got, you got eight hours to sit there take another five minutes and make it comfortable and make yeah. it and make it accurate and understand what you what your shooting lanes will look like at a certain point uh certain height and and orientation like all that's going to pay dividends
0: yeah And then I actually just kind of Opens up a whole other layer of first time outdoors, and I think part of it is the challenge in being a first time mentor. I mean, that, that's a, that's kind of a hard thing to do because for me, there's there's all these different these all these things throughout my years of experience with hunting that I kind of take for granted, and I forget to teach that to somebody else. So, for example, like um, having a uh a headlamp in your like on your person and in your fanny pack this is something I always do but then somebody gets into a situation like oh I wish I would have had that you could have prevented that from the get-go as the mentor or um maybe picking the right kind of tree like what you're looking for specifically in the tree that's something that I've don't think I would remember to tell somebody. You know, there's all these Uh, different things or like like your snacks or
2: regarding the tree, if the tree is dead or alive. I've done that. (laughs) I've I've climbed a dead tree. I mean that's dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. But if it's, if it's a big dead tree, you are not necessarily like, there's so many things going on in the morning and in the dark that you're not necessarily looking to like, does this have leaves? Is this thing alive? You just start climbing. Yeah. And then you get set up and you go, oh no, like I got to get out of here. Or is this going to be okay for the next couple hours? Yeah. Start negotiating with yourself. (laughs) Not good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'll come back to that. But I also, you know, I had a... Somebody texted me today, one of my former students, who's a new bull hunter this year. And I'd listened to the podcast last week about tracking deer in the dark. And there's these questions that I we didn't answer. And the questions were like, would you wait? Would you not shoot a deer later in the evening so you didn't have to track it at night? That's a really good question. Mm-hmm. And I never would have thought of that. And my answer would be, if you have the opportunity, shoot it and track it in the dark. And then the follow-up question was, what kind of flashlight? Does it have a blue light? Does it have a red? Like, what kind of light makes blood show up better in the in the grass or on the leaves? I mean, these are really good questions. That I think, as a as a new mentor, as a first-time mentor, that I kind of just gloss over because I take those things for granted, and uh, I think it to to try to get at it from just a very I mean, it's, it's kind of a hard thing to approach because you want to come at it from, like, a very baseline thing. But you also don't want to, like, insult somebody's intelligence by getting so basic that they're like, yeah, duh. Like, I get that. You know what I mean? There's, there's sometimes a – there's no, like, prior knowledge assessment that's out there to try to determine.
2: Yeah, that. but I would err on the side of oversharing. You know, yeah. I don't think as – regardless of your hobby i don't think that too many people are coming in as novices with a ego saying like yeah don't be condescending you're oversharing it's Mm -hmm. like well i think there's there's so many nuggets of knowledge there that if they if they're really listening it's going to be way more beneficial to overshare Mm -hmm. but
1: yeah to put things in perspective 18 months ago i didn't know if it was legal to shoot a doe or a buck or like yeah. a fawn. Mm-hmm. I'm still not exactly clear on the fawn thing. Uh, but, you know, and once again, it was not necessarily, you know, like someone saying, Steve, you need to do this and this and this. It was just listening to oh one one time when I was going out into the woods mm-hmm. and I was pulling up my bow by the rope or when I was using my deer st- or my boast, my bow hanger hook thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, bow hanger hook thing. What do you mean? What's this thing you hang your bow on? It's like, oh, that sounds handy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was just, and the stories are just interesting, you know, and it's really easy for me to comprehend little things that way. And, of course, like I'm by no means uh, have all the details down, but I think on the other hand, a portion of things just need to be figured out for yourself. Yeah,
0: yeah. To go back to the dead tree thing, Here's how I learned not to put a stand in the dead tree. This was actually my dad's uh, blooper. So this was in that property that you had hunted near Forest Lake. And uh, we were, my dad and my brother and I were going out hunting. And we got there in the morning. It was dark. We were walking to stands that had been set up. We set them up in the summer. So they're always in the same spot. And uh, I didn't actually see this. I'm telling the story kind of secondhand through my brother's perspective because he was in a stand close enough to see where my dad stand was. And so my brother's already up in a stand and he can see my dad walking through the woods shining his flashlight and he gets to the spot where he thinks the stand should be and then is shining his flashlight up into the canopy to try to find where that stand was and was like spinning around in circles seemingly for like five minutes Like, where is that stand? It's got to be around here somewhere. (laughs) And as it turned out, he had put his stand into a dead tree, which had since fallen since the last time that he was in the woods. And the tree was laying on the ground, and the stand was basically, like, sticking straight up. He was like, well... I guess I'm going back. <laughs> there it is. I'm getting gonna go back, and I don't know what he did. The rest, and maybe he like sat in the area of the deadfall or something, and hunted from the ground, or maybe he went back to the truck and took a nap. But was, that's a good example of like hearing somebody's story. Be like, oh well, yeah, experienced hunters make mistakes, but also there's a lesson in that story that I can take and use for my own uh, future reference. Man, that is crazy.
1: Avoid dead trees. And if you don't, you may get a free nap. (laughs)
0: That's right. That's right.
2: Well, I guess we can circle back to Ripley slightly. Uh, I can share kind of what happened to me on day two. I had a little more more action. Um, I decided to totally change spots and go on a little bit of a walkabout in the morning. I kind of went with Derek and we hiked in and... This was unique to my experience at Ripley. This was the first time I had seen the headlamps in the woods, like Mike had talked about before. There's, you know, with all the hunters out there, uh, we got in a little bit later, probably. We were kind of far back in line, and uh, there were already, I think, three guys set up kind of right in the area that I wanted to go. So um, just kind of this stressful situation where we had to kind of blaze you know, keep going, kind of pursue, just find a spot. You're committed already. It's not like you can really back out and go find a new spot. It's like, well, get into a tree and get up and quiet down. Um, so anyway, kept, kept going and ended up finding a spot in an opening, um, and felt pretty confident. I had a lot of like, a lot of openings and I could see a lot of area. So that was nice. Um, I think. I don't know. I think I'd got a message from my wife or somebody. I had my phone out and I think I had told her maybe I hadn't seen anything yet. And as I was putting my phone away, what seems to always happen once you have your phone out, Mm -hmm. deer come out. I looked to my right and at about 30 yards was a, I think it was a six point buck, four or six point buck. And he was behind a deadfall and just like walking and I grabbed my rangefinder, this is my blooper for the week, Grab my rangefinder and it just slips right out of my hands <laughs> uh, and fell completely to the forest floor uh, with a big thump and the deer looks up and kind of looked at me and I, you know, froze obviously and and then it kept, it kept walking. Um, but because I didn't have a good range, I kind of could estimate that it was maybe 25 yards, but I just didn't, uh, have a huge desire to draw back and shoot at this, this deer that I didn't have a confident range on. Uh, so I let him walk and this is one of those moments where I had a realization, like, so he passed, you know, he was at least a hundred yards away by the time I didn't made any movement, but I thought, Hey, uh, I'm going to want my rangefinder. I didn't range enough trees. This the day is young. There could be something coming here, mm-hmm. so I had to unbuckle everything and scoot down the tree and grab my rangefinder. I kind of re reorganized some of my clothing and uh, got back in. And maybe five ten minutes later, I was glad I did because uh, another buck was walking directly at me um, from maybe maybe eighty yards away. Uh, it was a nice bigger bodied six pointer. And he was on a straight line. I mean, if he's at 12 o'clock, walking straight to me. Um, And he stopped at about 40, 50 yards away and was working a scrape, which i had never seen before. Um, Pretty cool. He was working a licking branch and uh, working his scrape and just coming kind of right at me. But I was kind of in a place where I couldn't really do much uh, because he was... Walking directly at me, um, his eyes—you know—could have easily seen any movement, so I was kind of stuck. And anyway, I just thought I'd let him keep coming. I had no shot at his vitals, so there was no reason to rush, and I had a lot of visibility around me. Um, so, <laughs> essentially, he walked right to my tree uh, on my right side, and I drew back right when he was right underneath me, and. As he continued beyond me, you know, now going towards the six o'clock position, he just never turned. He never gave me any shot toward his vitals. It was as soon as he was beyond me, he was giving me his butt. Did you squeak? I tried to grunt, yeah. Uh, he was maybe, you know, 10 yards away and I went, Meh! and he turned a little bit, but it was a super steep quartering away shot and I just hesitated again. And then he trotted out to about, maybe 20, 25, and I did it again, and then he ran out to like 35, and he stood there. But by that point, he knew I was there, and even though he was like in the region still, I just, you know, just didn't work out. But it was just amazing that, I don't know, for whatever reason, when you go into the woods, and you spend a couple days or whatever, and you don't see anything, and suddenly the stars align and the deer are moving and all of a sudden you start seeing deer and, and, and you can go find a spot where suddenly one walks to your tree. I just, I'm just i continually baffled by that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was successful this last weekend um, and a similar thing happened. We'll, we'll do that story some other time. But um, it's just crazy how you can walk into the woods, find a little bit of sign potentially, and then be lucky enough to have one within 20 yards. I mean, I think that's like the whole magic of bow hunting that like it's just it's completely crazy because if you spend any time doing it you're gonna sit for multiple days and not see anything besides a couple squirrels Mm -hmm. so it's just when it all comes together it's just completely thrilling and uh even though i didn't get to uh, make a shot on that deer it was it was pretty cool so then it quieted down and nothing else happened for the rest of the day and time to time to head out of there so that was ripley for me
0: and it sounded like it, we were hunting in a group of how many guys were this, Were we total nine or ten, maybe? That we were in our you know our camper yurt village, um, and it didn't seem like any of them saw any deer, but us four—Jake, myself, Steve, and Derek—saw. We're the only people that saw deer that morning. So, but we were also the only people that didn't see deer the day before. Hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. So um, it, it's really, that's one of the challenges in with hunting in general, specifically whitetail hunting. When you're sitting in a deer stand is knowing like, th- is this spot good? And I just didn't see anything or is, am I not seeing anything because I need to move? Cause I've done that like in a spot where I hunt, you know, every weekend and I sit in that stand and I see deer moving and they're twenty five yards away, not giving me a shooting, and I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna move my stand over to that tree because they're walking by that thing consistently. And then I move the stand and then they never return to that spot. And I, it probably has nothing to do with the stand movement. It's just it's just what happens. Yeah. It's just it's hard to know, like, just wait it out. This is a good spot. You pick the spot for a reason and just wait. And then in the weekend of Ripley, that that situation becomes a little bit more. It's more focused into a smaller time frame because you only have two days. So, my advice would be. Talk it through with other people if you're stuck. You know, like what do you think I should do? Here's what I'm do- here's what I'm seeing. Pull out a map and maybe like oh, I'm deer moving here. or I'm not seeing anything. What do you suggest? Um, that's what I do in that situation. Jake and I talk about that stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, we G check constantly about this land that we both have been hunting and been successful on. And every conversation we have is like, where are you going to sit tomorrow or this weekend and why? And then we talk it through why, why here, why here? And we both suggest different spots and then we ultimately land on like, I think this is the spot.
2: And for me someone new to this whole like scouting thing and and sign. I mean, the last two years, I've basically just gone (laughs) in a spot. Year one, I went where the Russians kind of directed me to go. And year two, I went uh, and I feel like just got lucky. This year, I feel like I've been trying to focus on like, why are deer moving? Where they're going, you know? How do you predict where to be? And I have a lot to learn on that yet, but it's just, yeah, despite the fact that we're having those conversations, I still feel like I'm kind of like faking it till I'm making it a little bit, like trying to come up with reasons, but not being very sure as to like is this actually a legitimate point? Um, but yeah, it's been fun, and, and it's, it's fun. Enough. It's fun to like have a theory, and 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 then just go with it. There's no nothing to lose but time. Just ha- have a theory on something and go sit and see what you learn. See if you. If you can go find a deer in the woods, Um.
1: yeah. I mean, call me a cynic, but I I have a feeling that if I just went up in a tree, like wear a sleeping bag and this black solid color hat and my brown Carhartt coat, and just kind of like moseyed on up there, at some point, I like how much higher of a chance would I, lower of a chance would I have of seeing a deer if I would have. Really like you know talked it out for hours on end and really thought about it and like worn all the right things and mm-hmm. gone up at the right time and you know like it's I I actually am sort of cynical about it like kind of like how much of this is just like sheer luck yeah how much of it, it can actually be um, how much of your chances can intentionally been be increased
0: mm-hmm. yeah I think I think for me it's both. I think picking the spot intentionally increases your luck, I guess. Because it still has to come down to, like, is the wind right? Did the deer move through here? Like for, for example, the, the stand that I shot that buck out of last weekend, every time I sat in that spot, I saw between 10 and 15 deer. Jesus. And then... uh so since harvesting that deer, my brother's been sitting in that spot and hasn't seen much at all. And it's not because, like, that spot is awesome. It's a really good spot. But it's just, it's in the it's in a good spot. It's, it's very highly trafficked. But I think you sit in a place often enough, there's going to be something that comes by eventually, whether or not you're super good at scouting it. To your point, I think... Yeah, you could just go find a spot in the woods and sit in a tree, and eventually a deer's gonna come by, and maybe it's that one time and you get super lucky, or else maybe you're sitting there for a whole fall and not seeing anything. But there
2: are factors too that could have played a role in the fact that like I sat that stand the day after you shot your buck, and Derek has sat and hasn't seen much. I didn't see anything that day. Mm -hmm. You know, we were trouncing around through there for yeah, we kicked it up. uh, We we were our scent is all over the place. I mean, whether that played a role or not, I don't know. Yeah. But it certainly is a piece of evidence that like you have to contribute to the right the whole the whole thing. I mean, call it coincidence or not. yeah I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a huge like I don't believe like you're saying I think a lot of it just comes down to like what's gonna happen today. Um, the scent control thing, I don't know. I mean, it obviously matters, but like yeah, it's just hard to piece it all together. <laughs> but yeah. stacking the chips more in your favor is probably going
0: to lead to more opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And the only way you can really do that is just time in the woods and learning from every time you're out and adjusting and modifying things each time. So, well, let's, um, let's get into a little bit. I'm, I'm curious just about, we've talked about you being a new hunter and why you decided to become a bow hunter. Had you hunted anything in the past or, Who did you know that kind of steered you in that direction? Or was it just something you came to on your own?
1: Yeah, well, I I live in an urban area. And looking for opportunities to go outside is something that I spent a bit of time doing. And uh, when the peer pressure escalated to a point that I could no longer (laughs) say no, from one, your brother, Derek, and two, (laughs) uh, another friend, Colin, I was like, I had these two people like willing to help me and encouraging me to buy a bow. So I just, I just did it. I said, you know, there's no way I could figure this out just on my own. Mm-hmm. And I have these two people willing to give me some advice and, you know, show me what I'm doing. Yeah. Who have, who grew up doing it, you know, and this is, to me, this is just something that you can't figure out unless you grew you grew up with it or you have this sort of weird situation that I did with your brother and, and Colin of people willing to sort of jump in and hold your hand literally for the first, like, Hey, buy this bow off Craigslist. You're you, going to be good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was like, are you sure? Yes. Do it. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Was there anything in particular about hunting that you were intrigued by? I mean, you mentioned like just getting outside, but like there's a difference between hunting and like, kayaking or like going for a hike
1: yeah I I thought it was just a bizarre concept of sitting in a tree for long periods of time Um, I I meditate every day and the idea that these people who I don't I would not necessarily see in a meditation center are going out (laughs) to the (laughs) woods and like you know call it what you will but I think a huge part of what with the draw of this is the part of just sitting in the woods being in the woods for 12 hours being in like a 3 cubic foot space for 12 hours like who does that mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it was a really special experience even that first day at Ripley not seeing anything like that was to me the most interesting day um, of the hunt why is that can you expand uh, on that a little more why it was so interesting yeah like the, the woods changed every period throughout the day you know the sun hitting trees is so distorted depending on where it's coming from that the same patch of woods that you're staring at for 12 hours is constantly changing it's like a, a drama taking place in front of you um, and then you start paying attention to the little finer things you know where is that squirrel? what tree is that squirrel like popping in and out of why is it that tree that he's popping in
0: and
1: And then your mind just kind of starts
0: going to some (laughs)
1: interesting places which was really fun for me
0: yeah that's great yeah we've discussed that in the past there's you you do think about some weird stuff but also like sitting in a stand for an evening I feel so refreshed afterwards like I like my brain feels so much better Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like everything just feels a little bit lighter inside so
2: i tend to have the uh like the ron swanson from parks and rec his his meditation which is like lack of thoughts (laughs) like i'll sit in the woods and i'll just you know it'll be from 6 a.m until noon and i'll kind of wonder like what did i think about like i kind of wasted a morning here i didn't i could you know i could be thinking about my professional life i could be thinking about my relationships and like trying to do some deep work, some deep mental work. And I'd rather, I just sit there, you know, and it's like, I didn't really think about much. Looking
0: for the alphabet in the trees like I do. But, you know, I think that
2: that's like my form of meditation, right? That's like, that's my moment where I clear my mind. It's just because there's nothing to think about. I can't, I can't, you know, do a lot of things. You're, you're kind of stuck here. So enjoy the woods. Yeah. And I think that's refreshing.
0: So what are, what barriers are you still experiencing with, with hunting? Like I'm thinking about like, for example, like maybe access to a land or mm-hmm. financial burden, mm-hmm. you know, like if you don't mind me asking, what was your, like, what was your upfront cost Can you ballpark it?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I got the bow like for 300 bucks on Craigslist. Um, so I, And then I was good to go, like, doing target practice at some Republic Ranges, Mm -hmm. which are around in Minneapolis, these public places that you can go and bring a bow and just fire away. Mm -hmm. And there's some fantastic ones in the Twin City areas, in Bloomington at Pig's Eye Park especially. And so I was, like, good to go. And last fall I shot, you know, 500, 1,000 arrows just doing target range, And, and then I didn't go out until late season. Then when I went out in late season, you know, your brother had all the stuff for me. He had the camo, he had the stand, Mm -hmm. he had the sticks, he had the fanny pack, he had the face mask. And so, you know, I was just like plug and play. Like Mm -hmm. I showed up and he just sort of dressed me like a newborn infant (laughs) and told me to climb this tree. I'll lay down <laughs> didn't change me thankfully. <laughs> well kind of because he did put on the harness thing okay he's was you know, like pulling it up my legs you know it's like my PJs <laughs> so yeah show me that and then like kind of over the times like, yeah I don't need this camo anymore so he kind of gave me that he's like oh I don't want this fanny pack anymore I was like okay well I'm gonna give you money for that like that's ridiculous oh I don't need this face mask thing anymore you know buying the license and stuff but but without that you know that's the front it's like you know we found a deer stand in those woods like just rusting on the ground he's like mm-hmm. yeah you can take that <laughs> so I took that you know I bought some sticks for 70 bucks or whatever
0: wasn't that stand that was attached to that dead tree was <laughs> it? <laughs> it could have been <laughs> it very well could have been seven so, so actually
1: yeah um, but so the the barriers at this point is one is like time is you know okay I, I'm gonna go out for a week if I were good to go right now I would have to go to a state forest which is like an hour and a half away and to get that state forest I have to make sure the car is available if mm-hmm. I'm living in a city I share a car with someone like make sure the car is available get out there find a place to sit mm-hmm. you know? um, and then if I shoot something it's like all right here we go. Yeah, it'll be a nice kind of birth by fire. Yeah, um, but you know, like everyone, time is limited. Yeah, access to land is kind of weird. I'm still trying to figure out, like, you know, what public lands in Minnesota are we able to hunt in?
2: Yep, I think uh, just to quickly, just to answer that, you know, a really good research Mike, Mike and I have talked about in a previous episode is the Minnesota DNR. Uh, website they list pu- uh, you know public land hunting opportunities and they kind of itemize them out by land types, um, so that's a good resource just to kind of ant- just to kind of check off some of those uh, questions you might have if you have a, see a region of the state that you might want to go check out well then you can refer to that website and you know if it meets this qualification you're good
1: to go so that's a streamlined way to look at it. So, and then how do you know like if it's good hunting land? Because you can look on a map like, oh, that'd be sweet to go there, and you show up as like a big marsh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like you scope it out on Google Maps.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yep. yep, We use Google Maps. Um, I subscribe to Onyx Maps, which allows you to put a couple layers of things on, Mm -hmm. uh, topography layers, and uh, you can mark up things like what you might think would be bedding area and. Food, You can see agriculture and kind of where they might be moving to and from and That's kind of what I was getting at earlier about just starting to hone in on this scouting thing a little more trying to uh, Get my skills a little better in that regard that's You know spend a lot of time during lunch at work looking at those sorts of things, you know <laughs> passing the time thinking about thinking about hunting um, But I think the best thing is just boots on the ground like driving around trying to find deer. You know, if you know anybody where I'm from uh, in the central part of the state, I know where deer hang out. And so like that's, that's a big part of it too. That's a disadvantage of living in a place like Minneapolis where you don't live close to where you hunt for sure. Mm -hmm. If we lived in a more rural area that we could, you know, hunt out our backyards, we would know what the deer population looks like more intimately. But that's a good place to start, for sure, sure, online. What sort of resources have you used to kind of, besides people like Derek, how else have you learned some of the the basics of hunting? Or, or have you been doing much, much research?
1: Yeah, I mean, I called the DNR once and I said, it says here that you can go to these lands and hunt. And I was talking about state forests. Like that's correct. I said so. I can just show up here, put up a stand, bring my bow, and hunt. He said, "Yep, that's right." And I said, "I can leave my stand up." He said, "Yep," but if someone comes and sees your stand and they go up in it, it's now their stand. <laughs> 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 I said, "Oh well, fair enough, I guess." Um, so I guess yeah, calling like they're super helpful, like talking on the phone, like talking through these things. Um, other than that. I watched some YouTube videos. Uh, I was being a little ambitious and was looked up how the field dressed a deer.
2: Sure, mm-hmm. so that's a big part of it. I mean, for me, that was that was one of the biggest barriers to this whole process was like the field dressing aspect. Because uh-huh. I just like didn't think that I wanted to have any part of that uh-huh. my whole life. I was just like, no, I don't want to reach my arms up into a cavity of a, of a deer and like cut the heart out, and like that just seemed really gruesome and just something I never wanted to do. But once I started to kind of get a little bit of exposure to that um, through some friends and watching videos, now I understood what it looked like, and it didn't look so bad. You putting know?
1: into context the meal you just made for um, yeah. Michael and I, things have changed quite a bit.
2: <laughs> they changed, for sure. It was like this thing that I could uh, yeah, I could wrap my head around. Like mm-hmm. I knew what the ugliness looked like, I guess. And that kind of leads into the first episode too that we talked about with my first year, like the, it being a bad experience in terms of, you know, wounding it initially. Like I knew what the, I, now I know kind of how bad it can get. Uh, I know what gutting it, you know, so just that was an exposure thing for me. Like, like once I understood what that looked like, then it was a lot easier for me to go, oh, I think I could, I think I could handle that. And I think I, I want to pursue that. Um, so yeah. I don't think it's too ambitious at all to look at that stuff.
1: Well, mean, you know. I you know, it's going out for my first time by myself. And it's like, yeah, well, when I get something, <laughs> then, yeah. then what do I do? Yeah. 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 Hmm. yeah. Hopeful thinking.
2: Yeah, well, it's good to plan for success. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, and then just don't ever hesitate to, you know, if you do find yourself out in some public land and you shoot a deer for the first time, Calling people like Colin or Derek or me or Jake or mm-hmm. whoever, and be like, "Okay, now what? Help, you know that's yeah. that's fine. That's, that's what I signed up for, and that I I I love that. So do you give your number out to the podcast <laughs> listeners? <laughs> <laughs> There's a few that have it, but no, not it's not public information. But but that's something I've found out with the
2: the hunting community. Generally the people that I know at least that they're psyched when you are successful. They're they're really happy when it doesn't matter If they know somebody a friend of a friend uh, Just finding success and enjoyment and having a good time in the woods like everybody can get behind that So like yeah, when when Mike shot his deer he called his uncle he called his you know Family everybody comes out and like wants to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. That's I would say yeah to echo Mike's comments about giving people a call call me call him uh when you're successful if you have a hesitancy or not like we want to see it you know we want to be a part of that so that's i think that can kind of be applied to the hunting community generally yeah that sort of ethic or uh not ethic but frame of mind just that people are want to see other people be successful so
0: yeah yeah
2: well do you have any other plans to hunt for there anytime soon
1: yeah a late season hunt would be nice I don't have it planned it out yet but um, I'm hoping the opportunity will, will emerge cool um, what about you are you done um,
2: I'm not done I've, I've got this uh, sort of special lottery hunt that I got um, Awarded a lottery hunt this year, um, so I've got an obligation to do that uh, next weekend, not this not this weekend, but the next weekend, and then one an, another time in December. So, got a couple cold hunts coming up. Um, hopefully, to fill the freezer one more time, uh, and then we'll be good to go. But
1: I would like to listen to an episode on these specific urban hunts mm-hmm. that you have the lottery to. Okay, I think ecologically they're pretty. An initiative and for someone like me who's doesn't have access to a car all the time I can't wait to apply for it next year
2: yeah yeah they're an interesting they're an interesting thing it's my second time um, it seems like they are contested in some ways they're because you're in the metro there's a lot of exposure to people who don't get behind them the mission um, so you've got that to deal with uh, they're high they're really highly regulated by the different entities that oversee them, but it's a cool opportunity to to kind of stay close to home and get out and see the outdoors. Because, I mean, a place like the Twin Cities, we have actually a really robust park system mm-hmm. that like, this is just another way to experience that. So,
1: mm-hmm. we'll for sure do. Yeah, it needs to be a uh, comprehensive th- overview. For sure. That'll be fun to hear. Awesome. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, I think that probably wraps up uh, Ripley and and our interview here with Steve. I appreciate you coming and wrapping this up with us. And
1: yeah, and uh, just before we end things, I really do appreciate you guys sort of helping me through this. You know, like before this all started, I kind of interpreted the hunting community as being um, much more machismo uh, than what I've, I have found in person. It's been like a, an incredibly sort of nurturing sort of environment, and like really positive. You know, I don't know many besides our little small group, but from what you guys represent, it's it's been so uh, non-intimidating and just kind of welcoming and disarming. And what I thought would have been a very sort of toxic environment, just from what you know what I see on the back of trucks and those kind of things. <laughs> Uh, yeah. so I really do appreciate it and it's, uh, yeah, there's been, there would have been no way to accomplish this without you, people like you guys and Colin and Derek and your dad and Carrie. Mm-hmm. So thanks.
2: Cool. Yeah. I yeah, appreciate it. That's kind of the hope here is to kind of open the, open the arms a little bit and kind of welcome people in with a little different attitude and share that, uh, the hunting and fishing community and is more similar to the other Um, outdoor pursuits than people might think and we're all just looking to have a good time outdoors so thanks again for joining us and we'll see you guys next week